Hello, my name is Vicki James, and this is Murder Sandwich, a true crime and mystery podcast. If this is your first time here, then welcome. We talk about true crime mysteries, among other things that tickle our fancy. If you want to follow up on the podcast, we do have an Instagram at Murder Sandwich Podcast that you can follow. And you can DM me if you have any suggestions on some true crime cases that you'd like me to cover. I'm glad to say that we are back to regular programming. I have had some eye drama for the last few months here. It's a huge reason why I haven't pushed out my regular content, but I honestly finally got it sorted out. It was such a long time coming. So I am back. We are here. I'm very excited. So let's get this party started. So today is episode 20, and we are going to be covering the mysterious death of the actress Brittany Murphy. She was one of my favorites. I love her movies. So with that, let's grab a crispy tuna melt and mow down on some true crime. Brittany Murphy was actually born as Brittany Ann Bertolotti, and she was born in Atlanta, Georgia, on November 10th, 1977, to Sharon Kathleen Murphy and Angelo Joseph Bertolotti. So Sharon is of Irish and Slovakian descent, and then Angelo is of Italian ancestry. And Brittany was raised as a Baptist, but later she became a non-denominational Christian, and she had two older half-brothers and a younger half-sister, And we don't really hear about them ever, (laughs) ever, literally. (laughs) Sharon and Angelo, they weren't together very long. They divorced when Brittany was only two years old. And so she was mainly raised by her mother and they moved to Edison, New Jersey. Brittany attended the Vern Fowler School of Dance and Theater Arts in Colonia, New Jersey in 1982. And like from the age of four, she was like training to be a singer and dancing training and acting and everything under the sun that you can think of when it comes to like entertainment arts training. This was preparing her for her eventual move to California when she was 13. So Brittany actually asked Sharon to move to California so that she could pursue an acting career. And Sharon just was like, okay, let's go. So they up and moved to LA in 1991. And this was right before she was going to start high school. So after this point, she didn't go to school. She was like mostly just homeschooled on sets and stuff like that. Brittany is reported in saying that her mother really never tried to stifle her creativity and that she considered her mother a real like crucial factor in her later success. One of the quotes that I found said, when I asked my mom to move to California, she sold everything and moved out here for me. She always believed in me. So she had like a really, really solid relationship with her mom. And it sounds like her dad wasn't really involved in her life at all. So I think it was really just her and Sharon for her whole life. So I think that's just really all she knew. Brittany made her Broadway debut in 1997 as Catherine in a revival of Arthur Miller's A View from the Bridge. And this was actually opposite veteran actors Anthony LaPaglia and Allison Janney. I don't know um, Anthony at all, so if I mispronounce that last name, I apologize. But Brittany landed her first job in Hollywood when she was 13, and she was starring as Brenda Drexel in the series Drexel's Class. And then she went on to play Molly Morgan in the short-lived The Torkelson spinoff Almost Home. 
And then she also guest starred in other television shows such as Parker Lewis, Can't Lose, Blossom, Sequest, 2032, Murder One, and Frasier. And then she started getting reoccurring roles on shows like Party of Five, Boy Meets World, and Sister Sister. But Britney's breakout role was in her second feature film, and it was the teen and absolute cult classic that I absolutely love, which is Clueless, in 1995. And she was only 17 when she filmed this. And this has Alicia Silverstone, Paul Rudd, just amazing cast. I absolutely, I'm sure it's like so common, but I love that movie so much. Just, yeah, those, I just love those 90 movies. They're just great. So after Clueless, she, you know, she really stood out in that movie. Uh, so she started getting pretty great roles after that. So in 1996, she started a movie called Freeway, and that was opposite Reese Witherspoon and Kiefer Sutherland. And then she was in a movie called Bongwater in 1998. And then in 1999, she starred in Girl Interrupted alongside Winona Ryder and Angelina Jolie. Also love that movie. So then she went on to have a pretty successful film career. So she had a lead role in Don't Say a Word in 2001 alongside Michael Douglas. She was in Eight Mile with Eminem, The Devil's Arithmetic, Up Down Girls with Dakota Fanning, Just Married with Ashton Kutcher, and then a movie called The Little Black Book. And her last film was called Something Wicked, which actually released in 2014, which was about like four years after her death. Brittany actually also dabbled in a music career, and she was actually in a band called Blessed Soul with fellow actor Eric Balfour, and this is in the early 90s. She actually dabbled in more music, again, with the release of Happy Feet. She actually covered a Queen song, Somebody to Love, and Earth, Wind, and Fire's Boogie Wonderland. Brittany Murphy was just like one of those... She was a little bit older in my, like, she was a little bit older than me. So she wasn't exactly my exact generation, but I grew up totally watching her movies. And it was really interesting because they did release a documentary on her in October and it was on HBO and I watched it a few nights ago. And it was really interesting because it was the same people who have done a few other documentaries and they kind of referenced you know, the Britney Spears documentary that came out, I think it was either early last year or the year before. But that documentary really highlighted like the toxic culture that was, you know, out there in the early 2000s. And Britney Murphy was definitely like a victim of that. So, you know, like Perez Hilton and all of those paparazzi and everything, they'll call you fat. And there is lots of pressure to be really skinny she really struggled with body image issues. Like there's even an interview where she says that she was actually turned down for a movie because someone said that she was huggable, but not fuckable. It was apparently maybe coyote ugly, but I didn't get any confirmation on that. But like after this comment, she lost a considerable amount of weight. You know, she was making sure that her hair was blonde, you know, just yeah. Trying to fit that role, even though it's just really sad because she shouldn't have had to do that. So Britney did have a short relationship with Ashton Kutcher right when their movie came out, Just Married. So it was a pretty short relationship. But when they broke up, and I think they only lasted like a year or so, but about a year after that, in December of 2005, Britney got engaged to a man named Joe Macalusco, who was actually a production assistant who she met while working on the film Little Black Book. But in August of 2006, they ended their engagement. And this is what leads us to the good old Simon Monjack. 
So in May 2007, Brittany Murphy married British screenwriter Simon Monjack in a private Jewish ceremony in LA. We're going to dive really far into him later. So just like put a pin in that. By this time, Brittany's roles weren't as high profile as there actually had been like a lot of rumors of her drug use and erratic behavior on set. And this is kind of what that that's what I was just trying to say is, you know, based on her, like based on what was happening in the early 2000s, her reputation was like really being destroyed online based on rumors or, you know, just people attacking her or, you know, just being really rude about her. And, you know, she was just falling into that Hollywood trap that a lot of women were in the early 2000s. So it was just really unfortunate. So I think when she met Simon, she was just like in a certain headspace. are going to jump like right into what happened on that fateful night. This is on December 20th, 2009. And Brittany Murphy collapsed on her bathroom floor in the home that she shared with her husband, Simon, and then her mother, Sharon. So at 8am, the Los Angeles Fire Department responded to a medical request at the home. Firefighters attempted to resuscitate Brittany at the scene and on the way to Cedar sinai Medical Center, but unfortunately she was pronounced dead at 10.04 a.m. after going into cardiac arrest. Now, Brittany was only 32 years old and her sudden death really did shake Hollywood and the world, and it prompted a lot of speculation into her private life and conspiracy theories surrounding her death, which I'm sure, you know, like we might have all heard of. There's been a lot of speculation out there. So they did perform an autopsy the day after her death, and the LA County Coroner's Office issued a report just a couple months later in February 2010, and they stated that the manner of death was accidental and that it was pneumonia with secondary factors of severe iron deficiency anemia and multiple drug intoxication. They found no evidence of abuse of alcohol or drug abuse in her system because all the drugs found in her body were prescription medication or over-the-counter, so there was nothing illegal. All of the ones that she was taking were all reasons to like treat a cold or some sort of respiratory infection. So that was most like that was what the coroner wrote down is that's what it seemed like she was trying to get relief from. But the coroner actually did state later that the anemia was like a very major factor in her death as because she had like life threatening anemia because she was so underweight. Mixed with the pneumonia, which the coroner said was so bad that when he put her lungs under a bowl of water, they're supposed to float. But if you have pneumonia, there's like water in your lungs. So if you have like really bad pneumonia, your lungs would sink to the bottom of the bowl. And the coroner said that her lungs sank right to the bottom of the bowl instantly. And he tried like four different samples. So like she had severe pneumonia and severe anemia, you know, mixed in with the drugs that she was taking to relieve herself of those symptoms. Unfortunately, it was just a cocktail that, you know, she unfortunately passed away. So on December 24th, 2009, Brittany Murphy was buried at Forest Lawn Park in Hollywood Hills. In January of 2010, this is actually just a few days before the autopsy results are released. So Brittany's now widow, Simon, and her mother, Sharon, actually came out and said that Brittany didn't use drugs or alcohol. And they attributed her death to a heart condition called mitral valve prolapse. But like, 
the autopsy came out a few days later and obviously refuted that. It's just really sad because, you know, like in this documentary that I watched, like the coroner is interviewed on there actually. And they said if she came in, she must have been, they said like she must have been sick for like a while and uh, she should have come in and been treated and it would have been treatable. They could have gotten her on the mend when it came to the anemia and the pneumonia. So it's just unfortunate. And, you know, she was just on vacation with Simon and Sharon and they said that they got sick while they were there and she didn't get sick until they got back. And I don't know, like it just, it's just really unfortunate that they just didn't go to the hospital. So in the weeks after Brittany's death, Sharon and Simon still lived together in their house, reportedly even sleeping in the same bed together. Yeah, you heard me. The same bed together. In like a literal 10,000 square foot Hollywood Hills mansion. In the same bed. Yeah, because like that's necessary. And they made a very bizarre appearance on Larry King Live, which you guys can definitely see online. It is Honestly, worth a watch. It's so cringy. And in it, they're talking about how Simon didn't want originally to get an autopsy, which is like strange. Your 32-year-old wife like dies on the bathroom floor and you don't want an autopsy. And in this interview, he's quoted as saying, this pristine body, curvy in all the right places, with skin and like silk. How could I say, cut it up in front of her mother? It's like, well, Sharon's sitting right beside you. You basically just said it. Also, who says that? Ugh, it was just disgusting. Like, it looks like Sharon's totally out of it. Simon actually speaks for her, like, a lot. Like, Larry King asks her a question, and then he kind of speaks for her. Or she, like, looks at him before she answers. It's very weird. And then they also did a photo shoot after she died. And Simon and Sharon are like holding hands and they're like staring into each other's eyes. And it literally looks like they're together. Like it's Brittany's parents that are like mourning. It's fucking weird. But in this Larry King interview, Simon and Sharon now state that they're going to be starting this like Brittany Murphy Foundation. And it's like a charity in Brittany's name. It's going to focus on like youth education and other services. So shortly after this, Brittany's family and friends received like an invitation for her memorial and that in order to attend, there's like a mandatory fee and that's going to be a hundred percent donated to the Brittany Murphy Foundation, but it's like thousands of dollars. So her friends and family are like totally freaking out being like, what the, f- like, what the fuck are you doing? And then it was discovered that it's not even a real charity. So Simon and Sharon cancel the memorial and then that's it. Like there's no memorial held for her. Like, it's permit-canceled. Like, so, like, trying to make a profit off of her death? Like, in, like even at her death? Like, what? So, all of this drama is pretty short-lived, because on May 23rd, 2010, only five months after Britney's death, Simon Monjack is actually found dead at 39 in the same Hollywood Hills residence that Britney was found. And the LA County Department of Health had considered that there was maybe toxic mold in their house at this point, and that maybe this was the possible cause of death. But this was immediately, almost immediately dismissed by the LA assistant, Chief Ed Winter, who stated that there was absolutely no indicators that mold was a factor in either death. But Simon's passing and then the odd behavior in the past five months of 
since Britney's death is just absolutely catapulted any conspiracy theory that was out there already about Britney that maybe Simon or Sharon poisoned her or killed her in some way or were involved in some way. And I think we can all agree that at this point, whether that they were involved or not, they are responsible because they didn't take her to the hospital. Like she was very ill. Like they should have taken her to the hospital. At this point, Sharon Murphy, like Sharon's the only one alive. And so she's coming out and she's saying that these reports of mold contributing to the deaths are absolutely absurd. And they went on to state that inspecting the home for mold was never even like requested by the health department. What's weird is like in the documentary, there's a, there is a couple people that say like, oh, when you go into the house, you'd see like mold on the walls and stuff like that. And they report being in the house and saying that the house had mold, but like nothing's really else is said of it. So I'm not really sure, but two years after Brittany's death, Sharon just totally changed her stance on the mold and said that it was the reason and that was what killed Brittany and Simon. And then she actually filed a lawsuit against the attorneys who had represented her in an earlier suit that were actually against the builders of the home. But both of these suits were just apparently tossed out. Like, I I couldn't find anything about them. I mean, I assume that they're tossed out. They just gotta be. They gotta be. They gotta be tossed. I wonder why she changed her stance. Well, like... Maybe just looking for some closure other than just like a simple prescription drug overdose slash your husband's an asshole and then take you to the hospital. So we haven't really heard too much about Angelo, Brittany's biological father. So in January 2012, this is a few years after, Brittany's father applied to the Supreme Court of California requesting that the LA County Coroner's Office be required to hand over some sample of Brittany's hair because he wanted to do some independent testing for it. So the test found really high amounts of lead in her hair, but they realized that this was hairspray or hair dye and that there was absolutely no mold spores and that there would definitely be mold spores on the hair if she did die from mold poisoning or mold toxication. I'm not sure what the right term is. It's one of those. But this is when the coroner states like she must have been sick for a couple weeks and like this is when she, you know this is when it kind of comes out into the media that like this is attributable what would have happened to her if like someone had brought her into the hospital and then angela was actually not placed on her first death certificate but they wrote a second one and then they did include him and then in the documentary it said that he was actually denied the location of her gravesite and then some fan came forward and was like angela's my best friend like me and some fans helped him find her gravesite I just thought that was weird. That's a little update on Angelo. It's not really talked about again. He didn't seem to be very like actively in her life, at least from like what I could gather. So like I said before, Brittany did grow up in the late 90s and early 2000s. And if for anyone that's kind of been watching these documentaries that have come out in the last few years, that kind of that time was really toxic. Like, you know, the, you had the Perez Hilton's out there and all these gossip columns and, you know, it was very fashionable and in to be like very, very, very skinny, very, very skinny. And, you know, like there was just lots of body image issues. I think anyone that kind of grew up in that kind of era, like I was born in 89. So anyone that was kind of growing up in that era can kind of relate to the style that was in then. And I think, you know, we all kind of probably felt the pressure of that as women. 
Not sure. I'm assuming maybe men have the same, but I think as women, <laughs> it was definitely a lot of pressure and Brittany totally fell into that. So there was lots of pressure when she was getting famous to like lose more weight and to dye her hair blonde and plastic surgery and da, 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 da. And she like really, really, really struggled with body image issues. So I think that's just something to consider when we're maybe talking about Simon and her relationship with him and maybe like how she maybe felt about his companionship. So let's jump right into it. We're going to take a few years back before Simon. So this is when Brittany Murphy had her really brief relationship with Ashton Kutcher. And this was just around their movie that they filmed together, Just Married. This came out like this relationship was like, so it's really weird because when I was researching this, there was actually an article released like in the last year where Ashton Kutcher came out and said that they never dated and they were just companions. But like there's literally red carpet events where they're like kissing and holding hands and da 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 da. So I don't know what he's talking about. In my opinion, there's like proof that you were more than just companions. But regardless, there's also a radio interview that Ashton Kutcher does with Howard Stern. And now Howard Stern can be so disgusting, honestly, but at this time they were dating and like this interview is so gross. So Howard basically was telling Ashton that he should have to wear a condom if he's like having sex with Brittany Murphy because Brittany had just finished the movie Eight Mile and there was rumors that she was like intimate with Eminem. And he's like, oh, better put a condom. You know, I heard she fucked Eminem. It's like, what? <laughs> like so rude. And Ashton's just like laughing and like, he's not really saying anything rude, but he's not like really defending her. He's just like, ah, like whatever. And then Howard even like later states that she's like fat. And I'm like sitting there like listening to this. I'm like, when the fuck was Brittany Murphy ever fat? If she was considered fat, like no wonder we all have body image issues. <laughs> She's not fat. Ridiculous. But Ashton's also reported saying that he had never met anyone who wanted to get married as badly as Brittany did. So apparently she just really wanted to settle down, have a family, have kids, all that fun stuff. So... After they broke up, Brittany's friend said, you know, she really was looking for that long-term companionship and that's what she just wanted. She wanted to meet someone that was ready to settle down right away and da-da-da-da-da and do the things and, you know, be that long-term partner for her. And so the next two relationships she had were kind of rushing into engagements and then they were eventually canceled. We mentioned the production assistant earlier. And so after these engagements, you know, a little time goes by and she goes into a business meeting with Simon Monjack and they hit it off. And after that point, he basically just never left her side. And actually, Brittany's friends did an intervention for her because they found out evidence of Simon's criminal past and that like he just had some shady dealings and they it failed. Like Brittany went on to marry him. Sharon approved of the marriage and they both stated in this intervention that they believed him over their friends. <sighs> if only that went differently. Right. But I get it. We've all been stuck in that trap before. I think a lot of us can 
agree that we all have our what if moments. So not too long after, Simon moves right into Brittany Murphy's Hollywood Hills home with Sharon. Not long after, he's already isolating Brittany from her friends. He even went as far to disconnect all the phone lines, cutting off all access to her. Basically, everyone had to go through him. No phones, no cell phone, nothing. Then Simon went ahead and fired her entire professional team, manager, agent, makeup artist, and he started playing all these roles himself. So he took over her email, complete control of her money. He even negotiated her sex scenes. One director even says that she refused to do a planned kissing scene. So he literally made sure that Simon was in earshot and said that he would have her replaced unless they did it. And so Simon like runs up and he's like, oh, like, we'll get it figured out. Don't worry. And then after that, she's like totally fine with it. Like he even did her makeup on sets. And there's a makeup artist in the documentary that's like, it was awful. Horrendous. Apparently just the worst. So the director of that movie that said that she'd get replaced, this is in the documentary. And I think, I think it was for the movie that was like across the hall. It looked like a horror movie. But the director of this movie came forward and said that Brittany always came late to set. She was with Simon. Like, they seemed to be really out of it. The relationship just seemed to be really unhealthy and toxic. You know, Brittany was always, like, really upset whenever she came from talking to Simon. Like, on her breaks, she would have to go out and sit in Simon's car and didn't really sit with the crew and stuff. So, yeah, it just kind of goes to show that you know, it wasn't really, it didn't seem to really be healthy from the outside either. At one point, Simon even hired a trainer, uh, like a fitness trainer to train Brittany. And I guess Simon knew this trainer from before and he actually owed him a lot of money. So Simon's like, hey, I'm like with Brittany Murphy now, like you can train her, I'll pay you back, da 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 da. And so they do this one session together and Brittany really likes it. And so the trainer tells Simon like, great, I'll just, you know, go through her people and we can figure it out. So he goes to contact, like, Brittany Murphy's team, and they're like, yeah, like, she fired us. So, like, you can't get a hold of her unless it's through Simon. Like, no one will return our calls. And they expressed, like, concern for her. They're like, yeah, like, super weird. And, like, the trainer never really spoke to them again. And he kind of said, like, that she seemed a little out of it when she was there and, you know, always looking over at Simon and stuff like that. I don't know. So it seems gross. I don't know another word. Just gross. Brittany was actually fired from her last movie that she would ever shoot in November of 2009 because Simon actually showed up to set like so drunk. And then only a month later is when she actually collapsed in her bathroom. So just just a toxic, a gross man. Like ugh, the look on my face while I'm recording this is just disgusting. Like he was not the white knight savior that Brittany craved when she had met him. Right? Like, he just fed into all her insecurities and did exactly what she wanted to hear until he had her, right? Like, he controlled all her eating, her exercise. You know, he's probably the main reason why she was so underweight. Like, Simon even encouraged her to get plastic surgery throughout their entire relationship. Like, boob job, like, lips, nose, like, all this stuff. Even in the documentary, they talk about Brittany being homeschooled. And they say that maybe that was why she was so trusting of people. Because she didn't have, you know, the trauma, I guess we'll say, that, you know, when you go through high school, you learn that, you know, not everyone is who they say they are. Like, people can be distrusting. They can betray you. You can betray people or feel forced to betray people or make the decision to betray people. Like, 
I don't think anyone's like fully innocent on making mistakes in their life. So people like in this in this documentary, they were saying, you know, is that a reason why she didn't notice the red flags? Like, was she easily manipulated because she didn't have that experience? I think it's hard to say, but I think it's something to think about. But just like how she was treated in the early 2000s with the paparazzi and the gossip blogs and the, you know, the culture that it was then, I think same thing, right? Is You can't really know for sure, but I think it can help you try to maybe understand a person and their the way that they react to situations, I guess. But I think that he just didn't want to take her to the hospital in her final days because of the control that he had over her. I don't think he wanted people to think that that he made her that way, maybe. I don't know. In my opinion, he's essentially like a con man, at least. That's the picture that was painted of him in the recent documentary. But I don't think it's necessarily a lie. Like, I think at the very least, he was very manipulative. But we're going to get into some shady financial business now. So Simon dies. I wish I could be sad, but I'm not. So Sharon's the only one left here. And she thinks that she's left with a significant amount. She's like, okay, I think we'll be good, right? So she has all this diamond jewelry that Simon apparently made for her. And so she quickly learns it's all fake. All of it. It's also discovered that Simon spent about $3 million in the three years that he was married to Brittany. He had complete control over her assets, right? Like I said, he even created fake property deeds and all this jewelry to ensure Brittany and Sharon that he was investing in her wealth properly. Lies. Scam. Fake news. Not true. The HBO documentary also reveals that Simon had two secret children with other women. One came forward in the documentary stating that Simon left her while she was still pregnant, never spoke to her again, until after he was engaged to Brittany Murphy and just offered to buy her a house outright. And she was like, this is just to silence me because he knew that, like, she knew that the relationship with Brittany was more important than anything, right? Like, he didn't he didn't want the world to find out about his secret son. But what's really, like, what's extra gross, extra creepy and disgusting is that Simon, like, convinced her to get pregnant. I was like, let's have a kid. Let's have a kid. Let's not wait. I love you. Like, why would he do that? He convinced her to get pregnant and then just abandoned her one day and just went off with another woman and stopped speaking to her forever. Well, until he offered to buy her house. But, like, What? And then this is when things get a little wild. So Simon apparently also told people, you know, through the years, a little bit on and off, that he had terminal cancer and that he was actually cured with experimental shark cartilage treatment. I almost got that out without laughing. Be proud. The lie was discovered after Simon abandoned his pregnant ex-girlfriend and she actually contacted his mother who told her it wasn't true. And, like, she was giving him money for these, like, fake treatments. So Simon's mother defends him in this documentary, saying that his father died of cancer when he was, like, pretty young. And he just got extremely paranoid after the fact. And that, you know, maybe he actually believed that he had cancer. I wasn't happy with that reasoning. I think that's just delusional, but okay. But this seems to be pretty debunked because it's reported that prior to his relationship with Brittany, that he would tell dinner guests at, like, Hollywood parties that he was a billionaire with the largest collection of Vermeers and that he had dated Madonna and he had a collection of Ferraris and that he was dying of brain cancer, but that he was purchasing a treatment derived from shark fins. And that's what saved his life. 
So no, he was not just paranoid. He wanted the shock factor. He wanted people to remember him and give him attention because he's a narcissist. That's what this is. Ugh, the worst. So I think that gives a little bit of backstory about him, right? Who he is as a person, or I guess who he was, because he's dead. You know, a few times I've stated that Brittany never did drugs or abused alcohol, and that it didn't seem as so in her autopsy either. But in the HBO documentary, there's a few people in there that do come forward saying they witnessed her come to sets high, maybe glassy-eyed at, at industry events. And it's reported that, you know, her and Simon would stay up all night on downers and then take stimulants in the morning. And that it was during these late nights that Simon would encourage Brittany to participate in these like really creepy photo shoots. So they can be found online. I only saw a few because they're really weird. But he would like dress her up like a doll and take like pictures all around the house and stuff. It's just weird. I think it's interesting to note that the LA coroner did state that they found 90 prescription bottles beside Simon's bed the night of Brittany's death. And not all of them even were in Brittany and Simon's name. Some of them were in completely different names and aliases. My personal take, my personal opinion on this is I don't think that Simon or Sharon deliberately did anything to Brittany. I don't think so at all. I think that they were just negligent. That they just didn't take her to the hospital. They were just hoping that they could, you know, pop some pills in her and that it would help her. And it didn't. And I think it's really, 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 really sad. And I really liked her. I thought she was an absolutely great actress. And I thought she had a an, a great upcoming film career that she was going to be, yeah, fantastic. And yeah, it's just really unfortunate. It doesn't seem like Simon was a good dude. And I think he manipulated her. Moving on for some additional little notes that I have here. So we hate Perez Hilton. I mentioned him a few times. I think he's gross and disgusting and just scum. So, but he actually told a radio station in 2009, only a few months before Brittany Murphy died. And he actually predicted that she would be the first one to die in the next year. And he came out on the documentary and was like, I can't believe I said that. I feel so bad. Gross. You know, he talks about his gossip columns and, you know, his involvement in this toxic, misogynistic culture that existed then. And, you know, he goes on and on about, you know, how he didn't realize that these celebrities were like real people and that he, they were just like figures to him and that blah, 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 blah. And it's just, I don't know. I just think he's just garbage. And I guess like a huge part of my hatred for him is like, Back in the early 2000s, I wasn't super old, you know, like in 2000, I was 11. So I I read his gossip column like semi-regularly when I was younger. And I just feel so grossed out now that I was a part of that. Because yeah, he's gross and he created a lot of really gross rumors about people. He's garbage. And if you're going to watch the documentary, be prepared to see his stupid garbage face. Brittany Murphy, this is actually a really weird part of the story. Britney Spears, old makeup artist, came forward and did a podcast and told this story. And there's a couple other people who confirmed it. But I'm just going to tell it to you and you can draw your own conclusions. But I thought it was really interesting to let you know what it was. So there's two Britneys in here. So I'm just going to always say their last name. So Brittany Murphy bought this Hollywood Hills home in 2003 after purchasing it fully furnished from Britney Spears for $3.85 million. 
So both Spears and Murphy reported that there was really something strange about the home. And this was located on Rising Glen Road. And this is just atop the Sunset Strip. And Spears was dating Justin Timberlake when she lived in this house. And apparently she claimed to have some pretty strange encounters throughout the house. Even at one point saying it felt like something actually tried to push her down the stairs. So Spears had the house fully saged and all of that stuff, but she still just felt like this creepiness. And she actually just up and sold the house, furnished and everything, to Brittany Murphy in 2003. Spears' former makeup artist, it's Julianne Kay, she recounted the situation last February in 2021. And this is her quote. Spears had that place up on Sunset Plaza, and I'm just going to say, this is really weird. She calls me. I have my friend do Reiki healing on her, and he had come up. I guess she had come. She had a crazy partying weekend and needed to relax. He left, and she swears to God that he opened some spirit portal or something, and these bad spirits had come in, and they were trying to, like, push her down the stairs or something crazy. Kay explained on this podcast. She continues... It was so bad that she left. She went to the Casa del Mar Hotel to stay there and never went back to the house. She goes, I know you're going to think I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. I know what I saw. I know what I felt. Super weird. Now, Brittany Murphy never came out and said anything, but it is reported by a couple different people that she regularly would ask to stay at hotels and not want to go to the house. And like Simon even came out and said that she would say that she wanted to stay at hotels and she he'd be like, we have a 10,000 square foot home, like we're going to go stay there. So kind of weird, but she actually was going to move to New York the year following her death. She was just didn't want to live in that house anymore. So the house went to Sharon. It sold for a pretty big loss at $2.7 million in 2011. And it struggled to find a buyer. I can kind of get that. In 2013, it was completely torn down and it went through a multi-year rebuild with developers and they were aiming to create this like sprawling contemporary structure. And so it was sold again in 2017 for $14.53 million, quite the upgrade. The property obviously bore no resemblance to its former house, like at all. And so in December 2020, it sold for $11.59 million. So again, a loss, which is weird, but oh well. And it measures at 9,400 square feet, has five bedrooms, and eight and a half bathrooms. Don't know why. Always weirds me out when a house has more bathrooms than bedrooms. Like, does this mean that every bedroom has its own bathroom? And then plus some in the common areas, I guess. Anyway, just thank God I wouldn't be cleaning that house. Like, you'd have to have a maid, obviously. So that's basically the story about Brittany Murphy. So I'd like to know everyone's thoughts. I find this case really interesting. I think it's mysterious. But after, you know, really diving into it and researching it, you know, for a while, I thought that maybe her husband was in, it actually involved, involved. But after like reading into the autopsy and stuff, I honestly just think that what I said before, you know, it just negligent, like straight up negligent. Like he, I don't think he maybe really cared about her, maybe a little bit more about the idea of her, but he was obviously very controlling. And I think that he just didn't want to take her to the hospital based on his controlling issues. And I think, I think, you know, that makes him responsible. Now, in order, 
to talk about his death, I'm not really sure, like, they died from the same thing. So, untreated pneumonia, I guess, right? Taking all these meds and not going to the hospital. You know, he's a bigger dude, and she was quite underweight, so maybe it was just bad effects on either side. Definitely check out the documentary if you want it. It's on HBO. I'm in Canada, and I watched it on Crave, but if you have HBO Max, I believe it's on there. But thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm Brittany Murphy. Really wanted to be covering her story for a while. Absolutely love her. Learning even more about her makes it even more sad. She was in a horrible relationship, which looks like to be abuser and potentially a family annihilator at this point. But yeah, that's my opinion on that. And I thank you so much for everyone to listen. And if you want to keep up to date on the podcast, it's at Murder Sandwich Podcast. And you will hear from me in a couple weeks. I already have next episode all planned out and I'm going to have a co-host and it's going to be fun. So stay tuned. Bye.